Thank you for checking out the messages of New Grace. We are a group of believers in Roanoke, Virginia, who are dedicated to loving God, loving others, and serving others. We hope that today's message is a blessing to you and your family. Go and get your Bibles open to the book of John, chapter number 14, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We're going to begin a new series this morning, uh, looking at one of the most misunderstood characters in all of Scripture. And that, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Uh, believers tend to fall into one of two categories regarding the Holy Spirit. One group is typically hyper-charismatic, and the other is pretty much doctrine only. And the hyper-charismatic crowd, they're always talking about the gifts of the Spirit, and they tend to be a little scary to the people in the doctrine-only crowd. They attribute everything that happens, especially in the church, to the Holy Spirit. You come into church and the drummer's extra good and the guitar player's just jamming out. Man, they got the Spirit. But, you know, they're a little off. Singer's not quite right. Somebody messes up some keys. Well, the Spirit's not here this morning. And so they, they attribute everything good that happens or that doesn't happen to the moving or the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the other group is the doctrine-only crowd. They tend to believe in the Holy Spirit, but kind of treat it as a, a theory only and not an actual entity. He's a, the Holy Spirit's tonight's addition to the theology of God. He, he explains how things work, but that's pretty much the extent of what the Holy Spirit is good for. And a lot of people in this group, they can talk about the Spirit. They can wax eloquent about the Holy Spirit, but they don't really know anything about communion with the Holy Spirit. They don't relate to Him as a person. They treat Him like a mysterious force or a theory. And these two groups, they typically vehemently oppose the other group. The charismatic crowd, they call the doctrine-only crowd dead worshipers, and the, the, the doctrine-only crowd calls the hyper-charismatic crowd too, too Pentecostal or too much into the Spirit. And the irony is, the Holy Spirit of God was given to unite believers, not divide them. When the Holy Spirit came to the church in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says He came as a rushing mighty wind. You know, wind is a recurring image, a recurring analogy when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit of God. It, it gives the image of us being on a boat in the middle of the ocean with no oars and no motor. Without wind... We're not going anywhere. Without wind, we're stuck. As a believer, without the Holy Spirit moving and working in our lives, we're not going anywhere. We're not accomplishing anything. We're stuck in our walk with God. God has so much available to us as believers that we never get to experience it because we don't truly relate to the Holy Spirit. 
You know, the abundant life that God promises us, that Jesus promised before he ascended to heaven, it's more than just a religiously busy life. It is walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God and in the presence of Jesus and enjoying everything that he has for us. So as we begin this study on the Holy Spirit, I want to look at the passage of Scripture where Jesus first introduces the concept of the Spirit to his disciples. So get in your Bibles in John chapter 14. We're going to start in verse number 16. The Bible says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that ye may abide with you for, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the word cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, the, the last part of verse number 17 has a powerful truth that I believe a lot of us as believers miss. Jesus says that this spirit that he is going to send, the disciples already know that spirit. He goes, you already know the comforter that I'm going to send you, but he says he will be in them later. He says, you know this spirit, but he'll be in you later. Now, how is that possible? The spirit that they know is Jesus. He dwells with them now, but the spirit that they will receive is the Holy Spirit, and he will indwell them Later, It's a little confusing, but that's kind of the point. We're going we're gonna to get to that. Look at verse number 18. He says, I will not lead you, leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, that is an incredible verse, and I want you to know why. The word comfortless there is the Greek word orphanos. It literally means fatherless or orphaned. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away. I have to leave, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. That's a great verse right there. That, that should make us say amen right there. Where Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Then he gets a little more confusing. Look at verse 19. It says, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. And in that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath commandments and keepeth them, he, that is, he, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not unto the world? So Jesus is, is so confusing in what he's teaching that Judas, the good one, we have to understand that, the good Judas, you know, he, he asked Jesus a question. He says, um, what? Uh, how are we going to see you? And you be made manifest to us, but no one else is going to see you. You know, it makes no sense. And 
I kind of agree with, with Judas there. All right, you're leaving and no one's going to see you, but we're going to see you and we're going to know you and feel you and be around you, and, but no one else is. This just doesn't make any sense to us. And then Jesus tries to explain, and in my opinion, it makes it a little bit worse. Look at verse number 23. Jesus said and answered unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. For the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, um, I'm sure you're thinking what Judas was thinking. Well, that just clears it up perfectly. Now I understand everything. But there is some good truth here in these verses, and we're going to see in these passages two powerful truths that Jesus gives us about the Holy Spirit. And the first thing he teaches us is, number one, who he is. Look again, look again at verse number 16. It says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now, the word we want to focus on there is the word another. There are two Greek words that are translated into our English word another. The first one is heteros. You can probably guess what that one means. It means another of a different kind. So it's another whatever, but it's of a different kind. The other word that Jesus, and this is the one that Jesus used, is the Greek word alos. It means another that is the same. So the comforter that Jesus is asking God to send to his children is another spirit that is the same as Jesus. In other words, Jesus is asking God to send the disciples God. The Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is God. We believe that in our, in our church. I think every one of us would agree that the Holy Spirit is God. We all agree with that? Anybody disagree with that? We'll talk after church. We all, not badly, I'll just explain why you're wrong and dumb. But we all believe the Holy Spirit is God. Do we treat the Holy Spirit like God? We believe it theologically. He is God with us. He is God. He's better than God with us. He is God in us. But we kind of relegate him to a lower position in the Trinity. And look, the doctrine of the Trinity is very hard to understand. It's very hard to explain. Basically, the doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God that exists eternally in three different persons. It's not three gods. 
It's not one God in three different modes that operates differently in different situations. He's not the one wrathful God of the Old Testament that he changed into the graceful Jesus of the New Testament. Now he's the peaceful spirit of the church age. It's not one God that changed into three different personalities. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one God existing eternally in three persons. Look at how Jesus talks about the Spirit in verse number 17. He says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. So who's the Spirit that dwells with them now? It was Jesus. Jesus says, the spirit you're going to receive, he dwells with you right now. I'm here with you now. But if one day I'm going to dwell in you. So that's a distinction between two different entities. And look at verse number 18. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, that seems contradictory. I'm leaving you. I'm going away. I'm going to send another comforter, but I'm going to come to you. Doesn't seem to make any sense, but as the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God the Father as one eternal God in three persons, it makes complete sense. Jesus says, I'm going as the Son of God, but I'm coming back to you as the Holy Spirit of God. It's not him that is coming, but it's him that is coming because Jesus and the Spirit are one in the same with the Father. How about look at verse number 23? Look at John 14, 23. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So in the Spirit, you also get the Father and the Son. It's a three for one package, and it's a great deal. Jesus says, hey, when I go and you receive me as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, and God the Son all in you at the same time. Now, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are distinct persons, so you can talk to them separately. But they're all God. So in having one, you have the presence and the power of all three. Get it? Yeah, me neither. There's a lot of analogies that we use to try to explain the Trinity. You've probably heard them, like water. You know, water, is its molecule structure is H2O. You can have it as a liquid form, and it's H2O. You can boil it and make it steam, and it's H2O. You can freeze it and make it ice, and it's H2O. So we use that as, see, it's it's solid, a liquid, and a gas, that's just like God, but it's, it falls short because it can't be a solid, liquid, and gas at the same time. What about the egg? Y'all heard the egg analogy? You got the yolk, the white, and the shell, and they all form the egg, but they're all different. They have different properties, different purposes, different structure. So it doesn't really, there's, there's no real good analogy we have 
to completely and fully explain the Holy Trinity because we are finite creatures trying to understand an infinite creator. But that's okay. We don't believe the doctrine of the Trinity because we understand it. We believe it because God reveals it through the Bible. We want an explanation, but God gives revelation. So don't get hung up on things you can't explain and doesn't really make sense to you. So who is the Spirit? He is the third but equal part of the Trinity. He is God in us. He is a person. A person you can talk with. A person you can fellowship with. A person you can grieve. A person you can disobey. A person you can reject. A person you can hurt. And we don't truly treat him as a person. Look, you know, we've heard people say before, you know, if, if, if you were watching a TV show and Jesus was right there with you, would you watch that show? We've heard people use that analogy. Here's the truth of it. Whatever TV show you're watching, he's there watching it with you. You are watching it with God, the Holy Spirit, a person who can be grieved by what we do, where we go, what we say, how we treat people, how we talk about people. Look, one of the biggest issues in church today is gossip. And we, we, we I'm not gossiping, I'm just, I'm praying for them. Pray for so-and-so. Or here's, I'm worried about them. I gotta talk to somebody about, you know, I'm worried about them, I need to talk to them and kind of see what their thoughts are as well. And it's just gossip. And you know who's hearing all your gossip and being grieved by you? The person of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. He is a person. He is God in you. And we need to treat him that way. So we see who he is. Here's number two. What he does. All right, so we know who the Spirit is, but what's his purpose? What's his job? What's he do for us today? First thing he does is he inspires and illuminates. Look at verse number 26. It says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, the, this promise has two different, is two different things to two different groups of people. For the apostles, this is a promise of inspiration. He promised to bring back to their memories flawlessly everything Jesus had taught and would bring clarity to what Jesus had told them. One of the questions most people have about the Bible is how can we trust the men that wrote it? Maybe they changed things. Maybe they wrote things that, that made them look better. I don't believe they did because there's some pretty bad things. I mean, Paul, look, if I'm Paul and I'm writing the scriptures and I have the opportunity to change it, I'm not telling all of eternity that I'm the biggest sinner in the world. I'm not doing that. 
I'm going to be like, I'm pretty good. I'm not as bad as John, you know. But Paul's like, hey, the biggest sinner, you got him right here. So, I mean, there's obvious ways we can know that they didn't change what they wanted. But this promise shows us that Jesus promised to supernaturally guide them to remember everything and understand everything he had taught them. And this is an incredible promise because how many of y'all remember what you had for breakfast last Sunday? Oh, no, you do not. It's always Bojangles. That's how he knows. All right. Most of us don't know. Most of us don't remember what happened last week or conversations we had two days ago. But these men, years after they had talked with Christ and been taught by Jesus, were able to write down exactly what Jesus... How? Because Jesus said, the spirit in you is going to bring to remembrance what I taught you. It's going to bring my words back to you. It's going to inspire you to write what the words of God, of God is. So by, the Bible was penned by men, but it was written by God. Now, each, each book reflects different personalities of the writers, but they are all the Word of God. The Bible is a reliable record of Jesus' work on earth because Jesus promised to accurately guide the apostles to record it. It's a promise of inspiration to the apostles, but to us, the church, it's a promise of illumination. The Holy Spirit is not revealing new truths to you. And anyone that says the Holy Spirit revealed a new truth that's ever been taught, they're lying. The Holy Spirit's not revealing new truth to us. He is illuminating the truth that's already been revealed. So when you're reading your Bible, and I hope this has happened to you, and a teaching of Christ or a passage of Scripture or something in the Old Testament, some, some obscure verse that you've read a thousand times and never really understood, when all of a sudden, now I get what he's saying. That's the Holy Spirit illuminating that truth to you. And look, if that's ever happened to you, you're not studying your Bible enough. That's one of the greatest things when you're studying Scripture and the Holy Spirit says, hey, you see that verse you've blown through the last hundred times you've read this? Here's what it really means. Like, whoa, did you get a new revelation? No, you got illumination from the already revealed truth of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now, the word Lord there is the Greek word for God. Who here, by show of hands, who believes... Jesus is God. You know how you know that? The Holy Spirit revealed it to you. How many here by a show of hands believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? How many believe that? All right. How many saw that? You know why you believe it? The Holy Spirit illuminated it to you. How many believe that Jesus, got to get him out of the grave, rose from the grave three days later? Anybody see it? No, we didn't see it. Why do we believe it? Because the Holy Spirit illuminated it to us. What you know about God is shown to you by God in you. 
This is the word of God. This is God's word and God in you reveals the truth that helps you get through your life and believe in God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the natural man cannot understand or perceive spiritual things. So the spirit shows us. The spirit reminds us. The spirit illuminates in our minds the scriptures, the teachings, and it teaches us the promise of God, reminding us of them and helping us feel them in our time of need. So the Holy Spirit inspires and illuminates. Second thing the Holy Spirit does, he demonstrates God's love. Look at verse number 21. <clears throat> he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So verse 21 says that through the Holy Spirit, God will manifest, that word literally means demonstrate his love to us. Now the word manifest, yes it means demonstrate, but it really gives the idea to make you feel. So God says, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will make you feel the love of God. We feel through the Holy Spirit the love of God for us, the power of God in us, the peace of God, the grace of God. We feel these things, not just know about them, feel them because of the Spirit. Romans 5, 5 says, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You know, there are times in my life, and I hope you've experienced it too, where the love of God feels so real to me that it becomes alive. That it's not just a thought that, yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But it's, I, I can feel God's love on my life. You know, I love all my kids. I enjoyed them more when they were younger going to be honest with you. I keep getting, you know, how, well, every day I'll get these Facebook memories and I keep getting these now uh, of, you know, of Lexi when she was uh, about four, three or four. You know, she's snuggled up to me with a big old Kool-Aid mustache or we're running around in the yard. I'm thinking, oh, she used to be so sweet. What happened? <laughs> April happened. But when they were younger, when Connor was younger and Parker was younger, I, I loved them. I mean, they knew I loved them. They knew it was her father. But I would, if I was coming through and I saw them and I just felt overwhelmed with love, I could grab them up and I could hug them and I could, you know, give them little raspberries on their in the neck and go and spin them around and they would laugh and giggle. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> Parker's too big to do it. Connor thinks it's weird and Lexi's too cool. So I don't get to do that anymore. Now, when I could do that, they knew I loved them. They knew I was their father. But when I grab them up and hug them and kiss all over their face, they felt that love in a different way. The Spirit helps us feel the love of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, he says, The presence of God is a felt sense of the attributes of God. We, we see that in verse Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus 34, of course, Moses wants to see God. He says, God, I want to see your glory. And God says, well, you can. If you do, it's going to kill you. And Moses says, I don't care. I want to see your glory. 
So God comes up with a, a plan. He puts Moses in a rock and he kind of puts a, in a, a cave and he puts his hand over the cave and he walks by the cave and then takes his hand apart. And the Bible says Moses got to see the hinder parts of God's glory. Do you know what that means? Me neither. No one does. I looked. Say, so what's the hinder parts of the glory? I don't know, but Moses got to see it. But look what God said in, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. He says, And the Lord passed by by him. And proclaim. So as God is passing by Moses, he is telling Moses his name. And look what he says. He goes, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressing and sin, and that by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That was the presence of God to Moses. It was a felt sense of the attributes of God. And the Holy Spirit allows us to feel God. Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, sometimes only mentioning the name of Christ or an attitude of God will cause my heart to burn within me. Suddenly God appears glorious to me. When I enjoy this sweetness, it seems to carry me outside of myself. I cannot bring myself to even take my eye from this glorious object. That is a sense of the majesty and beauty of God that the Holy Spirit manifests in our hearts. But not only is it, does he inspire us and illuminate, not only does he demonstrate God's love, the third thing he does is he counsels us. Look at verse 16. And I will pray the Father, he shall come and give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Now the, Greek, the word comforter there is the Greek word Paraclata, paraclatos, or paraclete. We, we really do not have a great English word to properly describe this word. You know, when you say comforter, it makes it sound like Jesus is like a down, a down quilt. When you're cold at night, you know, you can snuggle up in Jesus. He'll make you feel a little warm and snuggly and good. And yes, he does make us feel a little warm and snuggly, and that's a great attribute. But that's not really what it means. This word literally means someone that stands beside you to speak to and for you. This is what Jesus did to the disciples. He walked beside them, calling out the promises of God, giving them the words of God, helping them to see how God sees. So when you go through a time when your heart condemns you, and we've all had those times where our heart says, you're not worthy. How can God love you? I mean, yeah, you, you said that prayer, but look at you. You're not really, God doesn't really forgive you. God doesn't really make you want you to be one of his. So we go to a time where our heart condemns us. The Holy Spirit there is, is there to speak to us, to counsel us, to remind us of the truth of God. When your heart tells you you're guilty and you're messed up, and God's displeased with you, and you're condemned, the Holy Spirit speaks to us and reminds us that 1 John 2.12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Or reminds us of Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation 
to them which are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we that nothing can separate us from the love of God. He tells us that though our sins were as scarlet, the blood of Jesus Christ has made them white as snow. So when your heart condemns you, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and tells you that God is greater than your heart. When circumstances make you feel like God's abandoned you, the Holy Spirit speaks alongside of us and reminds us that we're not forsaken. That he will never leave us or forsake us. It tells us that when we're in the flood or the fire and we feel like we're going to be overtaken, that God is there with us. The Spirit calls out the love and assurance of God for us. Our hearts condemn us. They tell us we are unworthy and worthless before God, but the Holy Spirit stands beside us and tells us differently. The Spirit speaks love and assurance to us. That's what Paul meant when he said, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. But there's another dimension to him being our counselor. It's what, it's what he says to us about us, yes, about God and how God feels about us. But it's also what he says to God about us on our behalf. He stands alongside of us and he calls out to God on our behalf. He acts as a lawyer to God for us. Now, Jesus is our first advocate. Bible says in 1 John 2, 1, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now that word advocate is the same word for counselor, paraclete. And remember Jesus said, I'm going to send you another, one of the same kind, paraclete. And Jesus is our paraclete going to God the Father on our behalf. Now I used to think that Jesus was up in heaven in this courtroom and he's defending me to God. Like God's like, bonehead Sean messed up again. Time to send the lightning and the thunder. And she's like, oh, come on, God, I know he's an idiot. I know he messed up, but give him another chance. I mean, look, you've given David Eccleston many chances. Sean deserves one too. And he's like defending me and like, God, have mercy and have peace on his life. But he isn't asking God for leniency on our account. He's asking for justice. He is saying, Father, I've paid for all of Sean's sins. So for you to get angry at him and be wrathful towards him and punish him for that sin is unjust. Because I took his punishment on the cross. I absorbed his punishment through my death, burial, and resurrection. And I have given Sean my righteousness so you are obligated to give him the blessings that were coming to me. And the Spirit is another counselor. Like Jesus, he's another of the same kind, doing the same thing. The Holy Spirit advocates to God on our behalf demanding that God give us the blessing and the favor belonging to Jesus and that Jesus gives us as a gift. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings 
which cannot be uttered. The Spirit of God is asking God the Father for the blessings that Jesus has purchased for me through his death, burial, and resurrection. He is praying for you right now. He's doing it even if you don't feel it. When you feel that God is far away, the Holy Spirit is present and praying for you. Not only does he counsel us, the third, fourth thing he does is he, he points us to Jesus. Look at chapter 15, verse number 26. <clears throat> but when the Comforter is come, that's that word paraclete again, when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he will testify of me. Look at chapter 16, verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. The role of the Holy Spirit of God is to point us to Jesus, to glorify Jesus. He never points to himself. He never glorifies himself. That's why charismatic churches who glorify the works of the Spirit, the moving of the Spirit, they're wrong because the Spirit never wants to be glorified. The Spirit never wants to be noticed. He wants to point us to Jesus. Where the Spirit of God is, all the attention is on Christ. He never wants people looking at him. He wants us looking at Jesus. Where the Spirit is, Jesus is glorified. Preachers who are filled with the Spirit are always talking about the cross. They're always talking about the resurrections. Preachers who talk about themselves, their wisdom, their insight, their accomplishment, they're not spirit-filled. Preachers who are always talking about you, what you need to do, what you need to stop doing, how you need to act, they're not spirit-filled. Because the Spirit doesn't want us talking about you. The Spirit doesn't want us talking about me. The Spirit wants us talking about Christ. Spirit-filled preachers talk about Jesus, the cross, the resurrection, and the love and work of Jesus in you. Spurgeon said this, he goes, sometimes I wonder that you do not get tired of my preaching because I do nothing but hammer away at this one nail. That one nail is the glorious news that our glorious Savior paid it all in our place. And in response, he is worthy of our highest devotion and greatest service. That's what I want to do. I always want to point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as payment of our sins and point to what Jesus has done for us and what he deserves from us. I want to point to his work for us and in us and his great grace, his mercy, his power, and his preeminence. The Spirit always points to Jesus. Last thing we're going to look at, and we're just going to touch on it because we're going to look at it a little bit, a lot next week, is he empowers us. Look at verse number, uh, chapter 16, starting at verse number 6. <clears throat> Let me find it. There we go. Uh, he says, But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, Imagine how the disciples felt when Jesus gave them this statement. How would it be better 
to have Jesus, you know, just think about them for a minute. They have Jesus in the flesh. How many of y'all would like to have a meal with Jesus? Sit down and have, have coffee with him. Because Jesus drinks coffee. He brews. And sweet tea. And, and, and Chick-fil-A. I don't know. But, I mean, we love to sit and just, just talk with Jesus. Spend an hour, have a lunch with him. Go and, you know, just spend some time with him. They had Jesus with them. And Jesus says, it's better for me to leave you so the Spirit can come. It's better to have God in you than God with you. It's better to have the Spirit inside of you instead of the Son beside you. And with the Spirit, God uses us to work in and through us to reprove the world of sin and righteousness. Through the Spirit, we are empowered by God to do greater works than Jesus did when he was on earth. We've looked at it for the last couple weeks where Jesus says, you will do greater works than me because of the Spirit. With the Spirit in us, we can take the gospel places that Jesus never went. We can show his love to people that he never could. We can see families restored, addictions conquered, bitterness let go that he never would have. We can do greater works and have a greater impact because God is in us instead of having the Son beside us. He empowers us to do the work of God. So here's what I want you to walk away with today. The Holy Spirit is more than a force. He's a person. He's a person with emotions. He's a person you can grieve He's a person who speaks. He's a person who loves and delights in you. When you reject God's word, you're rejecting a person. When you disobey God's word, you're disobeying a person. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my word. So why don't we keep his word? Because we don't love him. It's not a morality issue. It's a love issue. As a believer, he lives in you and you are walking with a person. Person who goes where you go, who sees what you see. What are you doing right now that you wouldn't do in your life if you were more aware of him? You know, as Christians, we complain about the moral corruption of the world but then we entertain ourselves with it. Josh Harris says, lust is entertaining ourselves with the things from which Christ died to free us from. Now, I'm not saying we're to isolate ourselves from the world, but there's a difference in enduring the sinful world and entertaining yourself with it. Spiritual maturity is when you feel about sin the same way God feels about it. The Holy Spirit is in us to convict us and show us how to walk with God, to remind us of his love and his sacrifice for us. Do you know him as a person? Are you experiencing his power? Have you let him pour his love over you? 
Have you felt Him moving in you?